welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We read from Acts chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Now our text begins with some review, although not immediately. So at first we we read the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea. So that you've got the twelve, and then you've got the rest of the disciples that are in Jerusalem. And they have heard that the Gentiles have received the word of God. 
So the Gentiles, too, are, are hearing about Jesus, and perhaps, and there might be a little confusion here at first here for the, the disciples hearing this, but perhaps that these Gentiles are even believing in this word about Jesus and who he is and what he's done also for them. However, when Peter arrives in Jerusalem, he meets some conflict with the circumcision party. Now, they wouldn't have been known as that at the moment because circumcision was the entry point to the old covenant with God. If you wanted to be one of his people, you had to be circumcised. And so every Jew, every Jewish male would have been circumcised. So there would be no such thing as a circumcision party yet. The circumcision party arises in opposition to the Gentiles. And it's, it's first spotted here. I guess you could argue that technically this is the first real conflict that we've seen in the early church within the church itself. Um, there's obviously been conflict from outside the church. We even had the one moment with Ananias and Sapphira and, in chapter 5, but this is the first really deep wrestling over something that we're seeing pop up. So in the future, what becomes of the circumcision party in the, in the years to come is going to be this conflict of believing that not only do you have to believe in Christ, but you must believe in Christ and be circumcised in order to be saved. You have to be part of the new covenant and a part of the old covenant in order to have life in Christ. And that's going to be re rejected by the Apostle Paul over and against Peter. Peter still struggles with this later on, but that's the book of Galatians, and we won't go that quite that far. Now, this is a conversation that it's good to have with your children, and even as an adult to wrestle with. A lot of Christian teaching is the same today. That it's not just Jesus is salvation, but it's Jesus and. And so talk about what some of those ands might be. That you're not saved unless you believe in Jesus and. Most of them are going to point to the idea of works. Even if it's as simple as the work of deciding to believe in Jesus, which we're not capable of doing. That's a different podcast episode there. But to say that I must believe in Jesus, I must choose to believe in Jesus in order for my faith to be real, that fits in this category. I have to give so much. I have to do so much. I have to, my good works have to outweigh my sins. All of those are examples, and you can think of some, you know, in your own life. Challenge yourself. What what temptations is the devil laying before you that if you don't do this thing, you're not really a Christian? God won't really save you unless. Ferret those out. Repent of them. Trust in the Lord for forgiveness because he has forgiven you. He's already won it on the cross. So that could be a good conversation to have. Anyway, the circumcision party criticizes Peter, and they say, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. That should sound familiar. It's what Jesus has spoken of him by the Pharisees back in Matthew chapter 9. Not exactly word for word, but the Pharisees were bugging the disciples because Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. Now Peter is being bugged because he's eating with these uncircumcised men. Well, if, if we can share the gospel, by all means. 
you know, I'll have a meal with a non-Christian if it means I get to share Christ with them. And there's there's nothing nothing nefarious here. This is not a bad deed. Uh, Peter is sharing the gospel, and that's a good thing, something to, something to rejoice in. Now, as far as Peter retelling yesterday's chapter for us, you can let your kids, you know, review that and, and talk about what they remember from yesterday's reading. The only real noticeable difference comes in verse 14. A little bit of new information as Peter tells us that the angel told Cornelius that Peter would declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. It wasn't quite that specifically spelled out for us in the text yesterday. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's just it wasn't recorded in the last chapter, but it's recorded here. The break there then comes, new information really comes in verse 16. As Peter starts telling us, uh, while well, he starts telling the circumcision party there, what happened after our text yesterday, remembering what Jesus has said, which points back to Matthew chapter three verse eleven, where John the Baptist talks about baptize, us being baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then Peter just makes a simple acknowledgement, very humbly. So, you know, if if this is good for God, why not for me? If God wants to do this thing, who am I to stand in the way? And that's a that's a humble position that we as the church today also need to have. If God wants to do this thing, who am I to stand in the way? So if that's talking about the gospel being shared with the poor, fantastic. Would that our churches were filled with the, the poor and the homeless. That would be a good thing. If God wants to do it, we should not stand in his way of speaking the gospel to the world, to the nations, to all people, whether rich or poor, weak or strong, whether we think they have something to offer or not. None of us in the end have anything to offer God, and yet he loves us and he cares for us. So this is good news, and thankfully they see it that way. Even now, even at that moment, the circumcision party being mentioned, they see it as good. Right, Verse 18, they fall silent in regards to their grumbling and complaining because immediately after that they start glorifying God. Instead of speaking negative words, now they're, now they're praising God that he is growing his church even through the Gentiles. So this is good news. It's a major shift in the church's position and understanding of the gospel. It's not a major shift in the gospel itself. Jesus lived this way. This was We see it clearly in the gospels, but the church needed to learn it, and they have. Verse 19 then uh, continues this conversation by the, the church going up to a couple of different areas. So chapter 8 is where the scattering happens because of persecution. And we talked about then how the gospel goes to all these locations too when the church spreads out. And so you have Phoenicia mentioned. If you look at a map of the Mediterranean Sea, basically the coastline on the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea, as you go north of the Sea of Galilee, would be Phoenicia. And Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean Sea, and then Antioch is a city on the east side of the Mediterranean Sea, but very close to the northeast corner. So those locations, uh, that's where they're taking the word here in this, this example in the text. They took it elsewhere too, but for now, we have here and at the moment, they were saying it to only the Jewish people. But then we see the observation in verse 20 that they also spoke to the Hellenists, which is an interesting note because the Hellenists were Jews too. They were just, they, they were culturally 
assimilating with the Roman culture. Rather than thinking they needed to keep their own distinctive culture, they wanted to learn the Greek language. They wanted to have, uh, they wanted to be Romans. They just wanted to have their faith and be Romans. Um, so it's a different group from what we might have seen in other places in the scriptures. For example, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are entirely different groups with, with different beliefs. But they were all Jews in various ways. Now, they share the gospel with them. And an, an important note there in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. It is not us that create faith in others. No, no matter how good of a preacher one of us might be, or how bad of a preacher one of us might be, it's not ultimately our work to create faith in another person. We plant seeds, we speak the word of God, and then the Holy Spirit does the work through that word. And so the, the Lord is with them as they do this work, and a great number, as we see there in verse 21, and oh, where else did we see it? Verse 24, a couple of times right there back to back, a great number of them believe they come to faith. The report of this growth has reached Jerusalem, and so they send Barnabas. They send one of the... Barnabas is rising as a, as a lead disciple here. He's not one of the twelve, but his role of, of being a missionary has, has really at this point already been affirmed, and, and it's going to continue onward. And so Barnabas goes to Antioch to spend time with them. He learns that they're, they're faithful, and he's glad. And we get the note about him that he is full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. We saw that same note about Stephen back in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. So it's the only, in the book of Acts, it's the only two men that that's specifically said of, although uh, the, the apostles' requirement for the deacons in chapter 6, those who would serve the tables, this was the requirement, that they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, could say it possibly of all seven of those men plus Barnabas. So the church exploding in growth outside of Jerusalem now with a great many coming to faith. Barnabas goes to Tarsus to find Saul. Tarsus is a city on the northern side of the Mediterranean Sea, but also like Antioch by that northeastern corner. So it's not a, not a terribly far journey from Antioch to Tarsus. And he brings him with him, and together Barnabas and Saul work in the community of Antioch for an entire year. They're planting the church there. They're, they're helping them grow in their faith. Um, and this is getting close then to what we would talk about as, as Paul's missionary journeys. So that'll be coming in the days to come. Now, an important moment there in verse 26, this is where they were first called Christians. Christian means a follower of Christ. Some say like to talk about it as little Christ's. But this is a, a word that is not used by the church itself. They call each other brethren, members of the way. Um, but in Antioch is the place where we first see this used by outsiders as a, really as an insult, as an attack on faith, to make fun of them for believing in this Jesus guy as the Son of God. But it's an insult that's stuck and has stuck for 2,000 years now, well, almost 2,000 years. Similarly, uh, Lutheran, as a name, has that kind of an origin. Uh, we didn't originally call ourselves Lutherans. We just thought we were the church. And the Catholics, uh, Roman Catholic Church started calling us Lutherans to make fun of our, our foolish following of this Luther fellow. 
and the name stuck. We are Christians. We are part of the universal church, and we don't cling to the name of Luther. It's not Luther that we trust in for salvation, but it is a descriptor of a set of beliefs. We hold to the teachings of Christ in the same way that this church has for hundreds of years, and we believe going all the way back to the early church too. Now, in verse that last part, 27, um, you get this interesting note about prophets coming from Jerusalem to Antioch and sharing the, the, the word of the Lord, the Spirit, that there would be a famine coming. Uh, we don't know much about these prophets. One of them is named here for us, Agabus, and it's mentioned that it's during the days of Claudius, who's the Roman emperor from 41 until 54 AD. Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, the great Jewish historian, first, second century time, mentions this, this economic turmoil in that region. Um, so some support for the, the historicity of the text here, that this really did happen. And the disciples, knowing about the grief, uh, the, the troubles, the struggles of the Christians in that area, according to his own ability, so as they could share, they did. They sent relief. And that money was then distributed by the elders... So it was carried by Barnabas and Saul to the elders of that church in Antioch who then distributed the money. Now you can talk about this with your children as a family too. Um, who is it that is in need around you and your community right now? And how can you help them? How can you assist them? How can you share the love of God with them? That's a great conversation to have with your family all the time. Really, truly. Um, as we think of tragedy and disaster striking, disaster relief one of the good methods to do that might well be if you're from an outside community so you hear of another state being hit by a disaster that our efforts to fundraise for our brothers and sisters in christ there would then be sent to the church um, you know in the church's name that the church may then share that with those in need because i don't know you know as a as a tornado it's, it's springtime as a tornado strikes in Oklahoma. I don't know the needs of families in Oklahoma. It's not, it's not where I serve. But the churches in those communities in Oklahoma, they know the needs. So if we send them the money for the purpose of helping those in their, need, in their community, that's, that would be a similar kind of service as what we see here at the end of chapter 11 today.